Hi, welcome to Ready to Scale Season 3. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. I'm a real estate investor, syndicator, and operator of multifamily properties. And in this season, we're going to focus on dialogues that drive success. Building real wealth is not a fairy tale nor rocket science, but there's so much to learn. So grab a cup of coffee and join me each week for in-depth conversations with successful real estate investors. Conversations that are designed to help you drive your wealth, investment, knowledge, and lifestyle to the next level. And of course, you can always go to my website, elliperlman.com, to read more about investing passively in multifamily. everyone, welcome to another episode of High Achievers series. This is Ellie Perlman, and today I'm going to talk to you about the top macro forces that impact real estate deals performance. So basically, you know, today is January 19th, probably by the time we're going to send it out in the world, it's going to be maybe February already of 2021. But What I've experienced and what I'm seeing around me as a real estate investor and as a syndicator who buy and basically manage multifamily properties across the U.S. is that there are three main forces that are impacting real estate performance. The first one is basically internal migration. And and when I say internal migration, I basically mean the movement. I'm talking about the movement of Americans across different states and from one submarket to another. This movement is what drives demand for multifamily in any market. So basically what happens in in many markets, and that started even before COVID, and it just accelerated during COVID, is that there are some markets in the U.S. where companies are moving to. It's normally an environment where prices are pretty reasonable. So housing expenses are pretty reasonable. It's a very affordable market because they can find employees that they don't have to pay them, you know, New York or San Francisco salaries. And basically, those companies also choose submarkets that are very, very friendly to them in the business environment. So they get a lot of tax benefits, for instance. So there are several markets that companies and people are moving into. We're talking about Texas, of course. We're talking about Georgia, for instance. We're talking about North Carolina. Those markets, there were already very strong internal migration way before COVID. And now because of COVID, everything just accelerated. So for an example, everyone knows that people are moving out of New York, out of New York City. And I think that people are going to go back to New York City at some point. But right now, the situation in New York has basically pushing tenants out. So people are moving out of New York. They're leaving their apartments and they're moving to Florida and also Georgia. So a lot of people that rented an apartment in New York now are renting an apartment in Miami or an apartment in in Atlanta because those markets are more affordable compared to New York. And Atlanta is more affordable than Miami, of course. And it's still on the East Coast. So it's closer to their job. And now they can work remotely. It's probably closer to their families. You know, those markets are more affordable. And 
you know, the climate is pretty good compared to the climate that they need to deal with in New York. Not the main factor, but it's definitely a factor when it comes to the decision where to move. So the movement from New York to Georgia and Florida, that's one way where we basically, where I see people moving into, and that fuels the demand for multifamily in those markets. Another trend is people that are moving out of California, mainly because the high cost of living and the never-ending increase of taxes, the tax burden, they basically move to Texas and to Arizona. So people are moving to Arizona because it's more affordable. It's still on the West Coast. It's still close to California and then Florida. And the weather is, is decent. But people are also moving to Texas and especially the Dallas market and Austin there. Those markets are booming. You have a lot of companies that are moving there. Elon Musk, you know, said that he's moving out of Austin. A lot of big and, and small tech companies are migrating from Silicon Valley to Austin because it's very friendly on a business you know, side, which we all know California is not, unfortunately. And it's unfortunately because I actually love California on a personal side. You know, people move there also because Texas and Arizona, they're very, but, but mainly Texas, they're very affordable. And of course, the weather is decent. So we see a huge increase in demand for rental units in Texas also in Arizona, but in Texas, specifically in the Dallas market and in Austin. So the internal migration is one macro force that impacts real estate performance. And it impacts the performance because the higher the demand, the more tenants that are going to knock on your door and wanting to rent an apartment from you, and the higher you can raise rents because the demand is stronger. And I believe that more and more people and more and more companies are going to move to Florida, to Georgia, to Texas, to Arizona, also to North Carolina, where there's in North Carolina, besides Charlotte, who's, that's a very strong market. There's also the research triangle really close to Charlotte that is kind of the affordable version of the Silicon Valley in North Carolina. And so... Basically, that's one macro force, just the internal migration. People are moving and the demand is now in those secondary markets. Now, the second macro force I want to talk to you about is unemployment. This is pretty much straightforward. You know, the lower unemployment, the more pain tenants that you're going to have. And basically, we've seen markets like Georgia, for instance, in Texas, that were able to add more jobs back in the market. And those markets are basically pretty much open. So if you look at California, for instance, right now, January 19th, businesses are closed. You can sit at restaurants. You can go to the gym. And without sharing my true thoughts of whether you should go there during covid it definitely impacts unemployment. And so Georgia was able to add a lot more jobs since May, and it keeps adding more and more jobs back into the market because Georgia is open. Florida is open. You know, I'm recording this and I'm sitting now in Fort Lauderdale. All the businesses are open. The restaurants are actually packed, which was an odd sight for me to see because I didn't see that in California. I didn't see that, you know, in Rhode Island. 
you basically have bars that are packed. You have oh, the restaurants, the coffee shops, people are sitting there. It doesn't really feel that there's a pandemic. But basically what happens is that because in specific markets like Georgia, like Florida, like Texas, a lot of businesses are actually open. It means that unemployment is lower than other markets, which means that you're in the better position if you own a property there to have a higher collection rate than places like in California, where a lot of people find themselves without a job. So you have a higher percentage of tenants that are unable to pay. And of course, that impacts the performance of your property if you own anything in the markets that are actually being impacted by COVID at the business level. Now, the third macro factor that actually impacts real estate performance is development. So based on the Yardi report, in the next five years, the projection is that there are going to be one and a half million new units that are going to be delivered in the U.S., one and a half million. That's a lot of new doors in the market. If you're curious to know, the top markets are first and foremost Austin with 53,000 units that are projected to be delivered in the next five years. And it makes sense because as I mentioned before, a lot of tech jobs are moving to Austin. Normally, people who work for tech, they are able to pay higher rents. They like to move around from one tech company to another. So they don't really like, you know, if they're young, they don't really like to tie themselves up to a house. They like to rent and move around when they have a better job opportunity. I read in the tech industry, the average employment length was 18 months. On average, every 18 months, someone moves from one company to another. So they want to, you know, tech employees want to maintain that flexibility. So as I mentioned, Austin, the projection is that there are going to be 53,000 units that are going to be delivered in the next five years. Right on the second place, Dallas with 51,000 units. And it's not a secret. Dallas has been a really strong market for development because there's so many people that are moving to Dallas. There's so many jobs there. It's really affordable. I have a lot of people that are moving also from California because instead of a tiny, you know, two bedroom home, they can basically buy a really nice house or from a really, you know, tiny studio, old studio apartment, they can comfortably rent a three or two bedroom brand new apartment. So Dallas is number two with 51,000 units. Seattle comes third on the list with 46,000 units. Denver right after with 45,000 units. Orlando with 38,000 units. And I'm actually curious if this number is is a true accurate projection. Well, projection can never be accurate, but what happened with Disney and the impact of COVID on Disney, I'm not sure if there's going to be a demand for 38,000 new units, but we'll see. Phoenix up next with 42,000 units, DC with 39,000, Miami 38,000, and Houston 37,000, and mainly the west side of Houston. So again, this is a projection made by Yardi by looking into all the current projects that are on their way and also those who haven't started yet. 
but they're basically projecting how many units based on also the plans that are in motion and those that are going to start pretty soon. And these numbers are for the next five years. Now, when it comes to performance and the impact of development on your performance, the advantage of being, you know, buying and owning near areas where you have a lot of development activity is that it really shows you where the demand is. A developer is not going to invest money and build a brand new building unless there's a strong demand, unless the population, you know, the area is good. So they know that there are tenants that live in that area or want to move to this area that have the ability to pay higher rents because obviously with the rising cost of development, the rents are higher than older buildings and you know that there's demand there, but the area is is a strong area and developers are doing you know a lot of research to make sure that if they're starting to build something, that the demand is actually going to be there, that they'll be able to occupy those buildings. So if you're around an area where you have a lot of development, projects going on, then you know that this is a strong area, which is an advantage. However, there's also, in my opinion, a huge disadvantage, you know, to own a property in an area that is highly developed. And the main reason is that there's just fierce competition. There's very, very strong competition. If you own a building, let's say you own 200 units and it's 1995 vintage, and across the street, you have two new projects that are going to be delivered in six months. They're brand new. They have all the best, you know, best in class amenities, beautiful, you know, high ceiling units. You know, in order to make sure that the building is occupied, the developers or the owners, if they, you know, purchase it from the developer, Sometimes they're incentivized to push rents down or to offer high concessions in order to occupy the building because they already purchased it. It's a sunk cost. Now they just need to occupy the building. And the first 70% occupancy level to reach that level, it's that's the hardest thing. So when they do that, sometimes they compete with older properties. So even if there's three, $400 gap between the older building's rent and the new building's rent, sometimes they'll be willing to go down and to match their rent to the older buildings in the area. And obviously if someone is looking for a new apartment and for $1,500, they can get two bedrooms in a 1995 building or in a brand new 2020 building, it's pretty clear which way they're going to go. So finding yourself, you know, competing with new construction with basically with new properties, that's going to be really challenging. So, you know, and obviously that's going to impact the performance of your portfolio in that case. And that's why my suggestion is to understand where the new construction is as a signal to where the demand is and which markets are strong, but to make sure that you're not buying something that is really close by to all the newest projects. Because trust me, from experience, it's very, very hard to compete with new construction. 
That's it for today, guys. We talked about the three macro forces that impact real estate performance. The first one we talked about was internal migration. The second one is unemployment. And the third one is new construction or development. That's it. Be bold, be great. Keep pushing forward and I'll see you on the next episode. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.